On November 23, 1986, WWF World Champion Hulk Hogan pinned Paul Orndorff with a leg drop. On the same day, the NFL's most infamous body slam rocked the world. It's Hulkamania, brother! And this Hulk is known for some pretty famous body slams himself. By far, the most famous occurred about four months later in the then home of the Detroit Lions, the Pontiac Silverdome. The Hulkster hoisted Andre the Giant and slammed the eighth wonder of the world to the mat. In the same building, Packers and Bears defenses slammed Lions quarterbacks into the turf on a yearly basis. But one of the most infamous NFL body slams didn't happen in the Silverdome. It occurred between the league's most storied rivalry at legendary Soldier Field. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. Great Scott. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the date is September 5th, 2019, and we're in Chicago, Illinois at Soldier Field. It's 8.21 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and fans around the nation are tuning in to NBC. The reason for this is because this is the 100th regular season kickoff of the NFL, and it's officially kicked off just about a minute ago. The Chicago Bears are hosting the Green Bay Packers, which marks the 199th time that the Bears and Packers will play each other, the greatest and longest standing NFL rivalry in NFL history. Later this year, they're going to fight each other for the 200th time. I mean, what better way to start the 100th season of the NFL than with this long-standing Biddle rivalry? And the season is so important that this is the first time that the defending Super Bowl champions are not even going to play in the season opener. It hasn't happened like this since 2003, which shows you the NFL is really pushing for NFL 100. 100 season of the NFL. Let's get this thing rolling. And the all-time record between the Packers and Bears is just about as close as it gets. Now the Packers do lead the series with 97 victories to the Bears 95 victories with six ties between them, but that's like I said, that's about as close as you get. So let's just th- yeah, let's just pray think about it for a minute if the Bears win both games this year, they could potentially be tied by the end of the 100 season of the NFL. And oh man, It's just a beautiful thing that we get to witness this rivalry Thursday night. Like I said, it's 8.21 p.m. Eastern. We are a little bit in the future for tomorrow's game. But how do we get here? Where did this rivalry start? What was the first time they ever played against each other? Well, we're going to take that DeLorean back to November 27th, 1921 in the same city, but it's a different stadium. You see, when they first played, the Chicago Bears, that is, they played at Wrigley Field. This is where the Bears would play for 50 years. And if you recall, Hallis wanted to call them the Bears because they played in the same field as the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field, but the Cubs are like smaller compared to football players, so we got to call ourselves the Bears. But that game on November 27, 1921, marked the first time where legendary coach George Hallis would lead the Chicago Bears and take on the curly Lambeau-led Green Bay Packers. I mean, this is so long ago. This is only the second season of the NFL. Nobody in their minds, their rightful minds, that is, could have even imagined what the league would turn into today. Sure, they had dreams and hopes and everything, but the crazy thing is, it has turned into America's favorite sport. But back then, back in 1921, they were just holding on the hopes of even not shutting the doors down. 
being able to just pay their players and pay their employees and things like that. So here's another reason to give you about how long ago it was. In 1921, the Chicago Bears were not called the Bears. They were actually still called the Chicago Staleys, known previously the, the year as the Decatur Staleys. This is where this was that whole deal where they moved from Decatur to Chicago under Hallis's name. And, you know, it was just, you got to keep them as the Decatur Staleys for one more year and then you can change them to whatever name you want there in Chicago. But 1921 also was important for the Green Bay Packers because this was the first season for the Packers. John Clare of the Acme Packing Company was the owner. And the NFL didn't technically even exist at this time. Well, <laughs> let's keep, think about this. Okay, so yeah, sure, the league existed, and it was the second season of the league. But originally, the league was known as the American Professional Football Association. They wouldn't even change to the National Football League until 1922. So we're talking the first game ever, technically between the Bears and the Packers, was under the moniker of the American Professional Football Association. And at the end of the 1921 season, the Staleys would end up winning their first championship. Well, they were known as the Bears later on, right? Let's not forget about that. The Staleys, the first time, 1921, they had a 9-1-1 one, record. But it wasn't a championship game. Because at the time, they only compared them to what your record was at the end of the year. And here's another weird thing, though. You see, the Staleys played 11 games. The Packers' record in their first season was only 3-2-1. and one. Remember this, scheduling came later. I mean, <laughs> we're talking 11 games versus 6 total play games. It just, nothing made sense. That's why later on, we would end up having the first playoff game. But that wouldn't occur until 1932. And it wasn't even playing that way. We had that game, the Bears, you know, they had them in that stadium, whatever, and they all like, huh, we got this tied record, let's... Let's make some more money. Let's play 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 a playoff game. And then the first planned championship game comes in 1933 season. And oh yeah, by the way, the Bears won both of those games. So we're going with this theme here about the early stages of the NFL. The Bears and the Packers. Not only were they some juggernauts, but they were extremely important to the growth and for the NFL to even just be able to live and survive to be able to be in its 100th season today, tonight, well, if you're living on my DeLorean, that is, really technically is tomorrow night by that time this episode releases. But like I said, the Packers were part of this whole, you know, dominance at the beginning, but they weren't really that dominant compared to the Bears. They didn't even win their first championship until 1929. Technically, they were undefeated that year with 12 wins, no losses, and a tie. However, that doesn't mean that they had all victories. Again, they didn't have a playoff game. They were just ruled the champion because of the record. Now, speaking of championships, in the entire 100 seasons of the NFL, well, starting now, 99 total previously, Green Bay has the most NFL championships in all of those seasons. Green Bay Packers have 13 total championships, and the Bears have the second most with nine. And we talked about this last week, but the NFL history, an entire history of the NFL, only three coaches have six championships. Bill Belichick just got his last year, but the other two are these two gentlemen we're talking about that started this rivalry and helped build the beginnings and the foundation of the NFL, Curly Lambeau and George Hallis, the Packers and the Bears, the most storied rivalry in NFL history. But side note, speaking of these six championships together, well, 12 total with six amongst them, each of them, Curly got all of his while they were both in the league, <laughs> of course, because Curly had to be one of them, you know, only one of them had to be in the league later on. George Hallis outlasted as far as coaching goes, 
So George got his later on. But no matter the records, no matter the championships, no matter anything else that you have to say, these are two gentlemen and two storied franchises that built the league together. Sure, there was other teams involved, of course, and the Giants were extremely important at the beginning, but these were two giants of men, not to use the pun, the New York Giants, you know, but they were hugely important for the foundation of the NFL as we know it today. I mean, just see their name. On the Packers Stadium, we have Lambeau Field. Pro Football Hall of Fame, (laughs) the address is George Hallis Drive. So these are two legends synonymous with the NFL Shield and NFL 100 that we are celebrating this year. And it was a great rivalry between the teams, but also it was a great rivalry between the two coaches. It was known that they had a not necessarily a strong distaste for each other, but it was that competitive spirit and they always were trying to bite at each other's teeth. But that wasn't really the whole story. Because even though they had this huge rivalry, they both helped each other out when they needed it because they knew it was for the good of the league. Kind of like how military units, you know, they have like the, I don't just throw it at random, they got the Navy guys and the Marines and they might be bickering with each other. But of course, at the end of the day, they are after the ultimate enemy to keep America surviving. And then the players from offensive teams and defensive teams or players or family members, really anything in life. Sure, there may be rivalries. But at the end of the day, it's the teamwork. It's to be able to make something great come out of what is the rivalry that we have. And it's easily argued that George Hallis and Curly Lambeau and their rivalry was what set the foundation of the NFL, like I've been saying, but also what saved the NFL from going extinct. But going extinct was something that happened to the Packers for just a brief moment almost. Because in 1922, January 1922 at a league meeting, they were kicked out of the league. The reason was because they had, uh, it was known that they were using college players under assumed names, which is a no-no back in the day. I mean, it's a no-no now. You can't just play college players and pay them because then they lose their ineligibility or their eligibility, eh, all that kind of stuff. But it didn't really last long because they were reinstated that same year, June 24th, 1922. The kind of crazy funny thing is, it was said that Hallis was the one that found the infraction you know, and reported it and everything. And then also, he was the one that helped convince the league and everybody else to bring him back in. So they were these guys, hey, I have a chance to get rid of this dude. But at the same time, I understand that for the best of the league, we need to get them back in. But the favor would be returned on the flip side, because during the Great Depression, it was said that Lambeau loaned Hallis $1,500 to make payroll. So it's kind of like, You know, got to keep each other kind of going on. We want to keep this rivalry going on so we can keep the league going on. Then in the mid-50s, it was said that Hallis helped rally the people of Green Bay to vote to build a new stadium, which, of course, we know was later named Lambeau Field. And another thing that Hallis did, which probably bit him back in the derriere a little bit, was he, with also the legendary coach Paul Brown, would end up recommending Vince Lombardi to the Packers. Now, we know that didn't work out a whole lot for the Bears and Hallis and really the rest of the NFL, except for the fact that they helped survive through the AFL-NFL merger to be the victors and then win the first two Super Bowls. But also, it was said that Hallis, along with other owners like the Mara family, they fought for the small-town Packers. They wanted them to be able to also get equal revenue sharing from the TV contracts, which nowadays is really the biggest thing when it comes to revenue. Because we know that Green Bay is not that big of a town. It couldn't really keep up as far as just plain old fact of the matter, city revenues and such. They had to have other ways to be able to keep up with the league. 
And even though it was the black and blue division, they still had respect for each other. And overall, I do believe that the league would not exist if we did not have the Curly Lambeau and George Hallis rivalry, two men that steered the ship for two of the greatest teams in the first two decades, and also, of course, later on. But this rivalry was so intense that it would help keep the NFL together and be able to help grow the NFL for the future. Now, NFL fans, you have these two gentlemen, of course, with all the players, associations, and every other person that helped the league at the beginning. But really, like I want to kind of pinpoint here, we have Curly Lambeau and George Hallis, and they were two that helped us lead to what we're going to see tomorrow night. The Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears playing against each other for the 199th time in the 100th season of the NFL. But I don't want to like take away from the other great coaches, players, administrators, owners, and everything from the Packers and Bears rivalry because it doesn't end with Hallis and Lambeau. They just built the foundation. I mean, this is a storied rivalry that spans basically an entire century. And of course, things changed a little bit in 1950. This is the first year Green Bay had a new coach. Gene Ranzani would be there for a few years and Lyle Blackburn and the 50s are kind of a dark era for the Packers. But then Lombardi shows up in 1959. But until he was there, they only won 40% of the games. We know after that, the story changed, the script would be flipped, and they would end up having a very successful decade in the 1960s. But the Bears, they only had two losing seasons during that span. But mostly, it was a high victory rate. Some of the other notable coaches for the Packers were Bart Starr. He came back to coach from 1975 to 83, and he had some success. Mike Holmgren also had some success. He was there from 92 to 98. Then Mike McCarthy was there from 2006 until last year. He had some up and down roads, just like most other coaches do, but he did win a Super Bowl. The Bears, after Hallis stepped away, though, there wasn't a whole lot of consistency. I mean, you know, coach here for there for a few years, just like how, you know, the joke was with their quarterbacks there for a long time. But in 1982, that's when Mike Dicka took over. And we all know what happened there. That was a pretty dominant kind of decade there for the 80s. And of course, 85 considered one of the best teams, period, of all the 100 seasons of the NFL. Lovey Smith also had a fair amount of success there, leading the Bears to a Super Bowl. I mean, they lost, but still, he was able to lead them there that year with really nobody at quarterback. In all of the years, the teams have played so many games. They've had so much success. A ton of championships, like I said. You've got the playoff games. But speaking of the playoffs, they only played each other two total times. Two total times in the playoffs in the almost 100 seasons of their existence together. The first time was in 1941. This was a week after the Pearl Harbor bombing. Now remember when Matthew Algio interviewed where he was talking about how the fans were listening to the Chicago game on the radio and that's when they heard about the bombing? Well, the Bears the next week would end up beating the Packers for the playoff game 33-14 to in route to then crushing the Giants in the 1941 championship game. And the second time they played each other was almost 70 years later in the 2010 NFC Championship game. This was when the Packers beat the Bears 21-14 en route to defeating the Steelers for the Super Bowl trophy. And I personally hope they don't face each other this year in the playoffs because that would basically mean that my boys and Lions didn't get in. But that's not for now. That's not for us to decide. That's for Mr. Patricia to go get on the field with his boys and just take down the division, hopefully, this year. 
because I've had enough of having to talk about the Packers and the Bears and the storied rivalry and all their successes. But let's not let the host dwell on this. Let's move on. Because there's a lot of other memorable moments in this history. Now, there's no way I can talk about all of them. I'm going to go ahead and go over a few of them. I'll include links in the show notes for these memorable moments and others for, you know, which ways you can go ahead and learn more about them. But uh, by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player choice or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com. I also ask that you subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button in your podcast player choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes each and every week. But let's get into those memorable moments between the Packers and the Bears, the long-storied rivalry going back to 1924. There are all indications that this was the first time ever when players are actually ejected from a game for fighting. Bears end Frank Haney and Packers end Walter Voss, they got into a brawl right before halftime. It wasn't necessarily the first time where the two teams really wanted to go toe-to-toe with each other, but it was the first time supposedly where the players got kicked out for fighting. And then also in the 1926 rivalry game, Haney was ejected again. So I'm wondering, was this the beginning of the black and blue division? We talked about also the 1941 game earlier, the playoff game, back after the Pearl Harbor attacks happened. But this was different because it was cool in a way. I mean, not cool that the Pearl Harbor bombing happened, but it was cool that the stadium was bursting at the seams with fans coming out to watch the rivalry. It helped Americans through a tough time. The same thing happened 60 years later in 9-11. We'll talk about that more next week. But it goes to show you how fans gravitate to their teams and to their league and why the NFL is currently starting the 100th season of the NFL. Another game that was kind of uniquely different was in 1964. It was called the Fair Catch Free Kick Game. So they, they kick the ball to you, you wave your hand up there, you fair catch it, and then immediately right after, you declare you're going to try a, feel, uh, a free kick is what it's called. I mean, there's no snap or a tee. It's just a kicker where he's going to just try to kick it through the uprights. You can, you can either have the guy hold it with his finger. From what I gather, you can punt it through the uprights as well. I think it's kind of more of a rugby style because that's how they used to kick. You know, they kicked a lot of their points and stuff. You take the ball and they punt it through the the goals and all sorts of different kind of rules that are pretty close, but a little bit different there back with Walter Camp making the, some changes and his boys. And supposedly in this game, Lambeau invoked the rule and everybody was confused. So Star, Bart Starr, he held the ball. Paul Horning, he kicked it. And <laughs> it was to much dismay or surprise of everybody else. He kicked it and made a 52-yard field goal. And it was a little bit harder to research this because didn't like give me exacts, but I found other places where Curly Lambeau had such a kickback in the 1921 season, supposedly the first successful attempt in a regular season game. I'm not for sure. It seemed like it. I mean, hey, it would make sense. You know, 1921 is a second season, but it'd be cool to think for sure if that was Curly Lambeau talking about this storied rivalry was the first to successfully kick and make this weird, different kind of rule in the Packers game. Another goofy kind of play, I guess you could call it, that was unique and different, and it involved the kicker again, was 1980, Chester Markle. I mean, this guy, he looked like he was straight out of an army movie back in the day where he had his 
you know, black sunglasses. No, it wasn't sunglasses. It was like regular glasses with a black rim. And he only had one bar. He just looked like he was just fresh out of boot camp. And he was just, uh, uh, it was different, man. You go back and watch the video in the show notes. So the 1980 overtime game, they're tied at six to six. It's a short field goal attempt. It was only 20 yard line where the ball was being snapped from. So they snapped the ball. It's blocked. Now, when it blocks, it ran back into his, like, basically, he they blocked it, and it went into Chester's chest. Well, th- that wasn't on purpose. It went into Chester's chest, and he grabbed the ball, and he ran around the end for a touchdown. I mean, it was just crazy. It was just <laughs> something that nobody really saw coming, and it was one of those other moments that sticks out in Packers-Bears history. And another moment that sticks out was in 1985. 1985 was known as the year that the Bears were dominant. But between the Packers and Bears, a big moment was this was the first time where William the Fridge Perry, he scored his first touchdown on a one-yard plunge. Now, I swear in the video, I saw it looked like it was Bill Murray talking on the camera. I don't know for sure. Got to go back in the show notes and see if that was him or not. I mean, I could be mistaken. But still, this was a behemoth of a dude. Like, the Fridge, for real, because it's like he ate the whole fridge kind of thing. 1986 was the next one. This was after the whole, he got some heated rivalries look really there deep because we're talking about the two coaches. This is what they called the Charles Martin hit list. Martin played for the Packers. Before the game, he was seen waving a white towel with players' numbers from the Bears on it. We're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. These are the players that he planned on taking out of the game. You know, Jim McMahon, Walter Payton, Willie Gout, and some more. They were the reigning champions, the Bears' dominant 85 run the year before. It kind of was like, you know, dude, at least when the Saints had Bounty Gate, they kept it hidden in the locker room and they would have the whole, you know, they'd give the bounty money or whatever, but they would just be waving it around on a towel. This would not have been as memorable of a moment, though, if it wasn't for the huge blow that happened. Jim McMahon, he tossed an interception. We're talking a long time after the play, after he threw the ball. Charles Martin's just kind of like lurking in the back. He picks him up and he proceeds to straight body slam this dude into the turf. Maybe he was auditioning the WWF. I don't know. Just like what we were talking about, the body slam that I referenced to in the intro. Martin would then receive a two-game suspension. This was the first time that anybody in the NFL received a two-game, well, a multi-game suspension, that is, for an on-field incident. And supposedly, Martin never even apologized or even acknowledged that he'd had wrongdoing. A quote from Ditka later on said this, These things were after the play, after the fact. So either you are coaching that way or your players are stupid. That's what I'm going to say. In this case, I believe they were coached. That's why I never got along with Forrest Gregg. To this day, I don't respect him for that reason. Now, Dicka played for the Bears during the Lombardi era. And Gregg played for Lombardi. So this was, essence, the rivalry where it started back in the 60s and coming into the 80s full circle. However, I don't know how much of it really had to do with that. But we'll just go ahead and let everyone else speculate. Because in 1989 was another, you know, infamous game, I guess you can call it, where Dan, uh, it was Don, Magic Man, Mikowski, where he scrambled around. It was fourth and goal from the, about the 15-yard line. Magic Man pulled another magic trick bunny out of the rabbit, and he scrambles around. He tosses a touchdown to Sterling Shepard, and everybody is, yeah, woohoo! But then you got this flag on the field, because the ref had imagined that he had stepped over the line of scrimmage. The article that I saw said that they were deliberating over it for four minutes. Then finally it was overturned. Packers win. 
So it was kind of like one of you could call it the the controversial game because of what was it really? You know, I don't know. But in 2014, this was no controversy. Aaron Rodgers, 2014, he threw for six touchdowns in the first half against the Bears. I mean, this dude, he was straight up, still is straight up the Bears killer, the Bears trap. But with that being said, this is by no means considered to be an all-inclusive list of all the great moments that have happened in the legendary Bears and Packers rivalry. I mean, there's so many that are out there. It's impossible. We could go on for days and days. Speaking of that, I mean, I'd like to hear if you have a favorite Bears-Packers rivalry or even any other favorite football moment out there. If you would like to share yours to be played on the show, head over to myfootballmoment.com. But tomorrow night, we're going to finally start the regular season with the 199th game in the longest rivalry in NFL history. The Green Bay Packers are going to trek into Soldier Field to take on the Chicago Bears at 8.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which you can watch on NBC. But this is only part of the reason why tomorrow is so important. Because tomorrow night marks the official beginning of the 100th season of the NFL. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some gridiron knowledge nuggets of the most storied rivalry in NFL history. If you enjoyed the show, I ask that you please share it with one family member or friend that has not heard of the show before. And as a Detroit Lions fan, yes, you can even share it with a stinking cheesehead. But now next week, we're going to take a look back to the 9-11 bombings that changed the landscape for Americans and other people around the world forever. But more specifically... We're going to dig into how the NFL helped Americans through this crisis and many others throughout history. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going... We don't need roads.